For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure. Hello and welcome to ACG Wealth Management's podcast, Beer Markets. I'm Bobby Moyer and I'm joined once again with my colleague, Sandy Wiggins. Sandy, how are you doing today? Great. How about you? Good. We got September 19th. It's, uh, it's a Tuesday. It's nice outside, a little fall in the air. Uh, we've got a Fed meeting tomorrow. A uh, relatively big week in the in the markets, a, a lot going on. I guess that could be said almost every week. Uh, but you know, right now we're about six weeks away from Halloween. But you know, we like to jump the gun. Not as bad as Starbucks and others, and, and putting out their pumpkin lattes in in August. But my beer today is going to be a Voodoo Ranger Atomic Pumpkin. It's a it's a spicy ale, and it's. You know, I've done Voodoo Ranger before, which is interesting. I, I probably, in a 12-month period, shouldn't duplicate myself. but And I really wasn't going to do a pumpkin ale this early because I think it's a little early. But I found this one last year, and I really, really enjoyed it. One of the my favorite pumpkin ales. Um, so this one is, it's got a little bit of cinnamon and habanero chili peppers. Um, so it's a little bit spicy, uh, which I really tend to like. So this is, um, a, you know, it's a special release. It'll be out for, I guess, a couple more weeks. Maybe pushing the issue here, middle of September. Uh, but hey, it's it's falls right around the corner. So let's. I'm gonna have this one, and hopefully it's as good as I remember uh, 12 months ago. Sounds good. I'm gonna have a Harpoon IPA. They also make a really nice Oktoberfest, but I'm not quite ready for uh, Halloween. Um, we've got a few more days before October. Maybe the next. Uh, beer markets, I'll have the uh, Oktoberfest. But this is a, uh, a great IPA. It's got a nice orange vest, uh, I mean, orange zest, uh, grapefruit, a little lemon. Um, one of my favorites this time of year. So that's what I'm going to have. And let's, let's, uh, let's move to the markets. Like you said, there's a lot going on. We can talk about uh, strikes and Fed Re Federal Reserve uh, comments that should come out tomorrow. Um, Never a dull moment, is there? Never a dull moment. You know, you got the UAW strike. You've got you know a government shut shutdown possibly happening at the end of September. You you mentioned the Fed meeting tomorrow. You know the markets are, are kind of all over the place. Um, not not extreme volatile though. You you've got interest rates up, which kind of cor correspond, I guess, with inflation and some of the things going on. The dollar continues just to to strengthen. And you know the VIX is down though. The VIX remains, um, I think it's at the uh, around year-to-date lows. Uh, so you know, no matter how much you know volatility is out there in, in, in the or our volatility is out there in the news, uh, it's not finding its way through the markets. Yeah, and you talk about uh, energy prices going up. We'll talk about the UAW strike. Yeah, Tesla obviously has a little bit of an upper hand on that, being electric. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. UAW strike. I mean, I think that's. Uh, you know, we mentioned this kind of in passing, I don't know, Sandy, maybe two, three, four months ago. I think one of the airlines was on strike or threatening. Maybe it was the UPS deal. They just got a, a huge pay increase. And, you know, it's when the market, the labor markets are tight, if you're the president of a, of a union, this is the time to strike, right? This is the opportunity that give, you give yourself that companies need employees and, you know, this is the time to ask for more money. So they're 
they're they're doing the what I guess what they're paid to do. Um, and depending what side of politically or the way you view this, I'm not taking a side unions or not. But it's um, this is the time that that they could really go after it, and and they're asking for a lot too. They're I saw 40 percent I think increase in, in pay raises. Um, 32 hour work weeks. Yeah, I think paid 40 hours a week, but working 32. Yeah, back but they want pensions back. Yeah. Uh, so. This is, you know, what are the bigger term impl implications of this? I think you could look short term. I think you could potentially look long term. And, you know, so let's maybe touch on a little bit of, of what, what the impact could be maybe to GDP. Well, well um, man, that's, that's a, a, a big question. And obviously right now, looking at all that's going on, anything that, that could, could impact GDP obviously is an issue the Fed's going to look at with, potential, uh, the concept of a soft landing. So it's it's a big deal. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is, you know, a big deal. And it has ripple effects. You know, Ford, I was it last Friday, announced they had to lay people off that weren't in the union because where they were getting parts from the union, a union-run run factory was coming up and they, they had no work for them because they were on strike. So it even has ripple effects outside of people in the, in the UAW uh, union uh, you know, inflationary. Um, I guess it, you know you could look at it longer term. If they were to get higher wages, you know that's higher Car wages. Prices are going to be higher. Right. You have to charge more. People have more money to spend, which means they're chasing more goods. Uh, so it could be even a little bit inflationary longer term or maybe intermediate term. But short term, maybe a hit um, to some degree if people aren't working, uh, even though they're getting some sort of money. I think from the unions to to strike. So. It's, um, but it also, I think, is really interesting if you look at the impact of 10 years down the line. And you mentioned Tesla earlier. Tesla doesn't have to deal with this. You know, Tesla doesn't have- Non-union. Non, they're non-union. And, you know, Tesla, if they're more competitive, and that, you know, we saw earlier, they cut their prices, and there's some debate out there whether you're a bull or bear or a, you know, a, a Tesla hater or not that they were cutting prices because there was no demand or is it that or because they can, because they could produce, they're much more efficient with the way they do it, right? They only have a couple color cars. They do everything so to scale and, you know, GM and Ford and, and these other companies that are trying to catch up on the EV race, it's much more expensive for them from a technology standpoint, from the unions. So if they can't compete with Tesla because their their cars, their vehicles are too expensive, what is that going to do to the, the company longer term? You know, does it make it a viable, I don't want to say they're not going to be out of business in 10 years, but they might not be in business in 10 years. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to anticipate. If you look at GDP, that was where one of the things where you started, mm -hmm. uh, it looks like it's going to be a potential 1.7 hit to GDP. And, um, you know, auto, automobile production amounts to 2.9% of our GDP. So GDP growth could be significant. And Depending the, the impact and how... Yeah, how broad-based broad right. the striking is and the implications it has on car prices and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think the UAW announced this morning, uh, today's Tuesday, that if they didn't see significant progress on the negotiating, they were going to step up, more people put them on, on strike. So they're threatening that come, come this Friday at the end of the week. And, you know, to get to the levels you're talking about, such a hit to GDP, they would really need to expand, you know, the, the strike from where it is now. It's already impactful for sure. We talked about the ripple effects. But if they continue to extend this out, which, like I said, GM and Ford are pushing the issue here that they want to make sure that they could – afford to pay these people and have these companies longer term, which is a little bit of a, 
an issue and you know it's already hard for these companies given the dealer networks you know tesla you know it's not franchise dealerships like tesla uses test you know these are you know tesla companies they're on you know direct to consumer um sales so it's um it's it's a, I think it's going to be an interesting thing to look back on in, in many years and how this could impact the, you know their their cost structures. Well, and, and two, not everybody wants to buy an electric vehicle at this point, and those that don't are going to perhaps have to make the decision: Well, do I buy an electric vehicle, something I'm not yet ready to buy, but it's cheaper, or do I pay up a little bit more and buy the car that I really would like? You know, you just bought a. Ford. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, you know, a, not electric. You looked, at, you looked at, at the electric. Yeah. It just wasn't where you know where I was was at at this point in time. Yeah. yeah. So maybe a year from now you might have made a different decision based on. Might pricing. not have had a choice too. Right. 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 And and Toyota too brings Toyota back into the game. They don't have to deal with some of this stuff that is going on out there, and and they're very um, scale with it, with their production of, mm-hmm. of vehicles as well. So this, um, you know, it, how big of an impact is it going to have, you know, but a longer term, I'll be interested to see how all this plays out. And this extends not only to the car dealerships, but we talked about UPS and I'm not saying you know, those guys, UPS, they're working on Christmas Eve and the cold and the snow, getting people Christmas presents and $170,000. There's a lot of criticism over that, but I think these guys work hard too. And I'm not here to say what the right number is, but the unions have definitely stepped up as far as, you know, asking for more, demanding more, and getting more, which longer term, these are contracts that are likely in place for many, many years. And how does that, you know, help them in the marketplace? You know, we have a, a chart here that I think there were 34 labor sh- um, sh- uh, shortages or stoppages this year, um, which is significantly higher than you know, any other, you know, in the last several years, uh, going back at least to the early 2000s. Um, so again, you know, this is, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, however, you know, the Fed keeps rates high. Maybe this is what the Fed's trying to avoid too. And that is, or to, you know, tight or loosen up the, the tight, the labor market a little bit. Yeah. And then it's also a presidential, you know, that the election, Cycle. It's going to yeah. be, you know, more and more uh, in the news and on on the TV. And you know, Republicans would love to see. I shouldn't say it that way, but you know, they they wouldn't mind seeing an ex- uh, a, a longer period of unrest within the unions in the strike. And obviously, the Democratic White House right now wants to get it wrapped up and and claim a victory. So. Yeah, There's a lot of implications of this, not only economically, short-term, long-term, politically, a lot to, lot to consider and work through. Yeah, I think I heard today that um, former President Trump was heading up to maybe Detroit or there to, to be involved in the, in the negotiations. And, you know, the, the White House obviously, and I don't know, I, I don't know what his purpose is, but um, the White House sent out a team to help facilitate negotiations. So to your point, it's becoming political if, if it hasn't been already. And, you know, so, yeah, it, it's going to have lasting impacts, I think. And, you know, GM and Ford, that's the big argument. GM and Ford have, have had record profits and all this. Well, one, they've been bailed out, right, in 07, 08. They also, um, their stock price really hasn't done anything in a decade. It uh, hasn't, you know, there's, there's it's not filtering through to share price. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic looking at, you know, 
one from a, a financial standpoint, financial markets, what we like to talk about, you know, are they buys or sells? And, and Tesla's obviously up up huge, um, but GM and Ford just sucking wind out there in, in the market and can't really find traction. And this is just another issue, I guess, into um, their share price and, you know, the future of the companies. Well, we, we, we touched on politics a little bit. Let's let's transition to the uh, the, the government debt and the government uh, expenditures and a potential shutdown. Yeah, not a milestone I think we should be celebrating here. You know, the, the national debt of the United States hit a historic milestone passing $33 trillion. I mean, I, I, if I shut my eyes and look up at the stars, I can't even envision $33 trillion, how much money that is. Uh, but that is now the, the national debt. And that's scary. And what else is scary is the cost to finance that debt is much higher. Uh, so when the when we're sending off and, and, and issuing debt out there, you know, interest rates are higher. And we'll touch on that in a second. But there's been almost a 50% increase in federal spending between fiscal years 2019 and 2021, uh, which obviously we had COVID and, and there was a lot of money thrown at a problem. And, and you know, a lot of waste and, and right or wrong, there was, you know, we were kind of never really in that situation before, but that was a big part of it. You had tax cuts, you had stimulus programs, you know, tax revenues were down a little bit from unemployment during COVID. Um, so you, you factor all these things in and, and you get this bigger debt. And now you also have, have to finance that debt and, and interest expenses are much higher. And you want to talk about the 10 year treasury? Sure. Cycle highs, um, you know, 4.36, 4.37%, I think, for the 10-year Treasury. That's, um, you know, the highest it's been in, uh, you know, I don't know, going back to 2007, I believe. So it's, um, you know, I, I don't know, Sandy, what do you think is, is driving these higher, these high, this higher 10-year Treasury rates? And this is, you know, there's a Fed meeting tomorrow, too. So, you know, what, what do you think is causing such a spike in, in these longer-term, if you want to call it longer-term rates? Yeah, I mean, it's nervousness about the economy. It's supply and demand. and um, You talk about supply and demand, right? China's not buying as many as much debt. You know, Japan, these other countries, they're not holding. I think that's a good point. You're right, supply and demand. If there's not enough demand out there, and we talked about the debt, obviously, but if people, foreign countries aren't buying at the same level they were before, that may have an impact. Yeah, that that I think there's a lot a lot there. Obviously, on the short end, the two years driven by the Fed, and as you said, we've got a meeting coming up tomorrow. We'll hear more about we'll hear more about that. We've got some statistics that indicate the likelihood of a rate increase being announced tomorrow is zero. Low. Yeah. <laughs> um, Man, that would surprise the markets. <laughs> yeah, and not in a good way. No, not in a good way. And then in uh, November, there's a, a indication or estimate prediction that maybe. There's a 31% chance of a, of a rate increase there, likely 25 if 25 basis points if that were to happen. So, you know, looking at the yield curve over the the, uh, the full um, time periods, then you know there's a lot to to factor in. Obviously, the the longer term, the 30 is still uh, lower than we would like relative to uh, a, a inverted yield curve. Maybe talk a little bit about what that means when we talk about yield curve and we talk about the two, the five, the 10, the 30. Yeah, and I think, you know, the inverted yield curve has historically been a, a great indicator, if you will, or accurate, relatively reliable indicator of a recession, right? 
And that tends to happen within, you know, 15 to 18 months. And we're about 15 to 18 months on that inverted yield curve right now, which tells us that um, the short end of the yield curve has higher rates than the long term of the yield curve, right? A healthy yield curve is shorter term rates are lower and the yield curve as you go out in time, as you would suspect the longer maturity bond you're willing to lock your money up, you get paid, you get enticed to do that with a higher yield. Well, that's not the case, and it hasn't been the case, as I said, for over a year now, and it's um, relatively steep. You know, the two-year somewhere, I think, north of 5%, the 10-year at 437, 436, somewhere in there, and, you know, that's a concerning, not a healthy yield curve, but it's like you said, it's Fed-driven, and how do you get back to a normal yield curve? I think that's, we could sit here and think about this and, and not have a great answer, I, I guess generally there's two ways. Um, one, the 10-year and the 30-year could go higher. I don't think that That's would be very great. good. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we want that. Um, the short end could go down, right? How do we get that? The Fed starts cutting rates. Well, why what is the Fed cutting that? a recession or something concerning? Um, we talk about um, you know some sort of landing out there, a no landing, meaning no recession, soft landing, mild recession, or a hard landing, a, a deep recession. And you know we're all hoping for maybe a soft landing or a no landing. And you know where we sit here today, um, it, it's hard to tell where, where we are and where we're headed with a lot of the things going on out there. Uh, but you know I don't know how we get back to that normal yield curve without having a little bit of pain in the market somewhere. And I don't know what that ultimately looks like other than the Fed cutting. Um, you know, I think the volatility of interest rates has been a little bit concerning. And I think that filters into the mortgage rates. Mortgage rates have now been over 7% for an extended period of time. It's starting to hit home builder confidence. And, you know, I think what we had today, you know, housing starts were down, what, 14% year over year. Um, that's that high 7%, 7.5% mortgage is is impacting housing a little bit even with the supply and demand imbalance that we've talked about uh, previously uh, but if we get a little bit of certainty where the fed is done where they could we, we almost feel that they're done not a 31 percent chance of a november hike that's but when hear them say right well, the fear is they don't want to say that because they don't want the markets to, to rip right and that's tom lee's thing is as soon as we get that we're getting risk assets rallying but I'm not sure, you know, if that's the case or not. When do we get that? But not until we get that that clarity, do I do do I think mortgage rates could actually settle back down, you know, just because it's like bid ask spreads, right? The the more uncertain things are, the bit the wider they get, and that's the wider the, the mortgage rates are right now. Banks not wanting to, you know, being concerning. And we even talked about banks. I mean, last time we saw interest rates come up like this hurting the balance the bank's balance sheet in march we saw you know issues with the regional banks and, and those held the maturity assets hopefully we're not having that conversation in october but um you know this isn't this spike in rates higher rates is not good i don't think for you know the health of the regional banks either yeah well and, and where it is good is if you are a, a bond investor and rates plateau or even go down a little bit, and you've got a nice a nice coupon that you're getting paid, and it's decent right now. You know, and if inflation subsides a little bit, if an investor could be getting five, six, seven percent in in bonds, lower risk than stocks, lower inflation, you're getting a decent return. And we haven't seen that type of a, a bond investment environment for decades. Yeah, you bring up a, a, an interesting point, Sandy, that everybody talks about cash is king right here, and we haven't gotten paid to hold cash in 
in so long, right? This over 5%. But I, I think what oftentimes isn't thought about or discussed is the reinvestment risk, right? Where you look at Your this six, yeah, six month, one year CD, right? Everybody wants to buy CDs now. At, and, and for the right opportunity, I, I would agree with that. You get you get five and a quarter, five point three five percent somewhere in there for a one year. But what happens in a year if the Fed does have to cut and now interest rates are four and a half? Well, now you're reinvesting that at four and a half, right? As or opposed moving into the stock market, taking right. on more risk to get more return. Yeah, exactly. And what happens if you bought a three year that you lock in four and a half over the next three years, but in, in two years if interest rates are at four, right? That's that reinvestment risk. So while it's very easy and enticing to say, oh, I'm going to jump in on short-term ultra-short bonds, and I think for the right opportunity or for a piece of a portfolio, it makes sense, but not to sit there and say, I'm going to hold all short-term bonds. And, 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 and plan on rolling it because right. that's just not going to happen. Exactly. And at some point when you're trying to roll it, the market has already rolled ran on you already so yep. then you're not going to want to get back in if you see a 15 to 20 percent move upward after the fed you know starts cutting maybe the first cut we're not rallying because things are bad economically but eventually they do so that reinvestment risk of bonds is is something i think all listeners should you know just be be aware of um one way or the other and talk to your talk to us talk to your advisor about you know the risks of that and for the right opportunity i, I, I do like the short end but not for maybe a longer-term portfolio, you know, two to three years, three and a half to four years, fine, I, I, you could live with that, but not six-month CDs with a long-term portfolio over a short period of time just because of that reinvestment risk. Yep, yep. And you touched earlier on, you know, the implications on on um, mortgage rates, and we we talked about the the, uh, the bond investment side of that equation, uh, but let's let's circle back and talk about just the impact on home builders. The sentiment that is, um, you know, there's been a change in the wind, right? And home builders has had a really good start to the year, better than I think a lot of people expected, given the higher interest rates, and that was driven a lot by a lack of supply. New construction was was the way to go, but now that we've seen interest rates over seven percent in September, things have really changed a good bit in the last few weeks. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is. Kind of, and I might have mentioned this on the last podcast. If not, I've, I've talked about it in some client meetings. I, the home builders kind of reminds me of energy a year ago, right? Where energy had a big a big move up, right? And it was all supply and demand. You know, you had oil prices weren't flying up last year, although maybe it was moving up a little bit. But it was all supply and demand, and these oil companies were doing well. On home builders, I think it's similar. Is there's a risk that there's not a big appetite out there for purchasing homes because of higher interest rates and, and the additional cost that comes with that. But the supply and demand impact is is real. People that are need a house, you, you don't have a lot of older people downsizing right now because of them wanting to trade a, a mortgage, you know, or existing, there's no existing home sales market, I guess is what I'm saying. That if you're in a house right now and you have a a three percent mortgage or a two and a half percent mortgage you're not moving you're not trading that up for a seven and a quarter maybe if your company's going to move you and pay and take on that cost for you but that's just not you would really have to think twice about even though you had equity in your house 
Um, so you don't have any inventory coming to the market on existing homes. So it's all coming from home builders, which that's the bullish part of home builders is, yeah, we could go out there and build because they're, that's the only appetite, that's the only place you're getting any inventory. And we're years away from having a, a healthy imbalance, I think. So from that perspective, I think home builders are, from a stock standpoint, attractive. But one, they, did they get bid up too much, right, from a valuation standpoint? And two, now is these higher 7% interest rates, is that now impacting even anybody who needs a house? Which I'm not sure is the case. I still think people are going to be buying um, if you can afford it. And they're going to be buying small or building smaller houses than what they were before. So maybe the behavior changes a little bit. But I think there's still an opportunity out there for home builders. Uh, maybe just a little bit of a breath here as we digest these higher rates um, and maybe the valuation of where some of those home builders were. And we'll see what impact we have on home builders' cost, input costs, and that sort of thing. And you talk about digesting, right? And, and, and so let's maybe touch a little bit on where we are in the market cycle. Uh, you know, we've had a great, great start of the year. We're approaching the fourth quarter here not too long. Uh, there's certainly been a lot more volatility in the last six weeks in the market than we saw early on. And a lot of what we've talked about, you know, inflation, the Fed, strikes, you know, interest rates are, are, are influencing the market, but it seemed to shrug it off early on in the year. And now there's been a bit of a pause. And you mentioned the VIX being lower. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, again, we're not market timers and we're not suggesting anybody act on a short-term perspective, but we've gotten a number of questions from clients about, hey, what's going on with the market right now? Why is it, you know, plateauing and What's it looking for either to move up or down? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and we talked about this in our Investor Insights in the beginning of the month. September generally is a challenging month, right? That's one of the more challenging. And we used a stat out there that when the market's up, what, 15% going into September and August is down, you generally have a good September. That's may not be turning out to be the case where we sit right here today. The s and is up 42 basis points. We're going to close down today. Um, so maybe we're up 30 basis points hitting in, in, into the Fed meeting tomorrow. Still positive for the month of September, but it's really only the S&P 500 and the growth, again, leading because mid caps, small caps, I believe international, um, fixed income, everything else is negative across the board. Uh, so, and we could get a rally. We'll see what the Fed says tomorrow. But I think September's a challenging month. That's, that's definitely part of it. And then we head into the fourth quarter. And, you know, whew, you know, I think my biggest, not my biggest, a concern I have that I still try to figure out is we've got an election next year, you know, and that's when do we start pricing in the volatility around the potential of policy changes from the, the election cycle? Other than that, I, I think I'm more bullish now than I was two, three months ago. And the only reason I, I would say that is sentiment's not where it was, You're, right? People. Sentiment was low to start the year. We got a bunch of, we bid up in, into June, July where sentiment was high. And I think people were starting to come around to no recession. And, and now we're starting to feel like, okay. A little more caution a in little, the market. Yeah, a little more cautious. Although the VIX just isn't showing it. But that part of it tells me, ah, oh, maybe I am a little bit more bullish as, as, as we traded sideways um, here over the last month or so. Uh, so I think that's that part of it's a positive. But I do worry about the economy a little bit. I worry about the labor markets a little bit. I worry about gas prices, right? Gas prices are so much higher now. Yeah, How is touched almost four four dollars a gallon? Yeah, nationally, right. Yeah. 
And, and how is that going to impact spending? How is that going to impact CPI? How does that impact the Fed and going one more in November? You know, all these, all these impacts of, you know, car prices. Well, what if they start reaccelerating now because there's no inventory out there that anybody wants to buy a car because of the strikes? You know, so now we, now we start worrying about, okay, what if inflation could flip a little bit here because of, ga because of gas prices and strikes and these sort of things? Um, that's concerning. Now the Fed's going to hike again. 25 basis points might not mean much, but... Again, on top of what did we talk about earlier? We want clarity of stopping. We want that pause, and that's what we're waiting on. And you know, so I, I think, uh, you know, I'm not answering your question because I, you know, there are just is so many cross currents here that have me concerned. And you know, the fourth quarter, I want to be bullish. You want to be, I feel like you want to be bullish going into October, get that Santa Claus rally, and finish the year. Um, but I'm, you know, also uh, acknowledging that discretionary income and, and the spending and, and that sort of thing is you know with oil prices and interest expenses this all this stuff just builds and that's why recessions don't hit after the, f the first rate hike they hit 15 18 months after the first rate hike right because that's when interest expense starts building but you know the labor market still is relatively strong and that's that remains to be a positive i, I don't suspect any surprise tomorrow out of the fed and and we'll see you know november i think they're going to continue to be data dependent uh, but generally, heading into the fourth quarter, you know, I, I would ear towards seeing a little bit of a rally more than not. But, you know, we also have some of these issues that we talked about. Who knows how deep the strike goes, the, you know, and, and the ripple effects that that kind of thing has through the, through the markets. Yeah, so let's just touch on one more thing real quick. And, and we've talked an awful lot about U.S., but we also know Europe is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, an Another place that, that if you're an investor, you probably got exposure to. Germany is not doing well. Um, you know the old saying, the U.S. right now looks like the cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry. Yeah. And, and I think that's still the case. So maybe if just comment a little bit on the context of U.S. versus other, other regions of the globe for investing. Yeah, well, I'm going to take you out of here. Let's talk about Japan. I mean, Japan's been a, a, a great place to be. What a great year Japan's having, you know. And, and Warren Buffett was pretty, um, you know, early to that to, to being over there. And and I think you know Japan is an interesting place for sure. Uh, I mean, you got to I think you got to like what they're doing. You know, you know, Europe is, you know, uh, Europe's tough. You know, I mean, valuation. Everybody's been talking about valuation in Europe for years, right? How cheap Europe is. Well, is it cheap for a reason? And I think more than anything, it, this is maybe a topic for another day because I don't have the time to get into it. You look at the market as indexes in Europe, and it's really a different set of um, sectors, right? Here, where you know you look at communication services and technology, that's forty percent of the S and P or more. Over there, you tend to have more value, quote unquote, value industrials, um, financials. That sort of thing. So it's a different trade where these last several years, technology companies have almost been defensive. Here, you know, Europe, it's, do you want to own European banks? Maybe, you know, because the valuation. Industrials in Europe, I think there's opportunities there. But economically, they're still having a lot of problems in Europe. And other emerging markets are having problems. And, you know, China is, you've got a question, is it investable? You know, just because of the political crosswinds that are, that are going on out there. Um, so, you know, I... I, I think you want to have some exposure there, and you know I think you want to be diversified because it's good. But the dollar, 
the stronger dollar is not good for U.S. equities either. Um, so maybe from that perspective, th there's an opportunity internationally on that. But this dollar strength has been, at some point, we've, I think I talked about this two, three months ago, thinking it's got to stop soon. But it just keeps rolling away. The dollar is just, to your point, it's the safest place to be, even with all the, the fears and concerns about the dollar not being the reserve currency at some point. Yeah, and, and, and putting a wrapper on it, you know, um, we like, you mentioned diversification, and we, we, we think that's the best way to be, whether you're an aggressive investor or a conservative investor, having a mix of different types of investments, size, sector, domestic, international. Um, and so, you know, we just want to reinforce that even though we're, we, in these beer market uh, sessions, we're talking about a very short-term look at the market, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we, we factor this into our longer-term approach of building client portfolios to weather the storms. You know, you never want to try to buy an umbrella in a hurricane. So be prepared and build a portfolio that really is well-rounded and can weather the storms. And when the sun's out, you know, performs as well as we would hope. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to end it, Sandy. I, I think that's right. I think this is have a plan, stick to it, and don't let your emotions get the best of you. You know, that's that's the, the takeaway, I think. So I think we'll wrap it up from there. Sounds good. All right. We'll see you back here next month. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Beer Markets. For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure.